From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in multilateral Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark DeCroix, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are save data, it's important, and interdisciplinary communication, also important. So if everyone's ready, let's start. Two important topics. Very important. Very, very important. But before we get to them, we have a couple of things on our meta list that we got to get we through. We do. Um, yes. Okay. So first things first. Uh, really important. You didn't want to waste any time before getting this out to our listeners. Right. This is important. My brother is streaming. Right now? YouTube. Not right now. Oh. Well, maybe. I don't know. It depends on when you're listening to this episode, listener. Fair point. Uh, <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> but he streams consistently on Fridays at 6 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Um, and he's just streaming himself making uh, content for his games. So like yeah. HyperDot or uh omni gear is the other game that he's working yeah. on yeah hyperdot's been out a while but he's still working on some stuff for it yes omni gear is his new project yes and so it's still early early days on that one yes that's um, a cool name for a game omni gear it's a fun game too uh, omni gear yeah mm-hmm. or hyperdot which one both i came up with omni gear I, well it's did cool you? i did i didn't know that <laughs> well actually no my brother had like a list of like two different like what's it oh you did that thing or, that idea people do is you pointed to a whiteboard and you took credit no, not exactly. <laughs> I put two things together and then took credit. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but my brother came up with a list of the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, like of like pre- prefixes and stuff. Like yeah, that's it. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what he did. And I was like, oh, I'm new gear. Ship it. <laughs> it's, no, it's a cool name. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. Anyways, <laughs> my brother, <laughs> he streams. Um, and he's been consistent. He's been doing that for a few weeks now. Did not specifically ask me to promote his stream, but because he's- Which is why you haven't done it for the past couple weeks. <laughs> I did forget. Uh, <laughs> I had intended to, very much so, uh-huh. but I just forgot. Oh. Uh, Charles, if you're listening, make sure to yell at your brother right. about this. Or, or now, whatever. Now, if he does yell at you, you know he listens to the show. He, he, he won't yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> so be better than my brother, I guess, and support his things, even though he doesn't support my things. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. That felt really mean. I mean, honestly, if you just want some more insight into why Steven is the way he is. <laughs> That's another reason to watch the stream. Yeah. If you solve the mystery, let us know. <laughs> oh, dip. Big news. Ellen, what's this about 120 dragons? I'm Dragon Master. Wow. wow. I finally did it. So they're going to add new ones soon, though, right? Yeah, I, no, I, I won't know. I'm going to install it. But they <laughs> did. They added some already. I just looked it up. Just kidding. I, I, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you should see Ellen's face. Wow. She's so scared. <laughs> okay. I had, I had I'm an sorry. emotional reaction to this from yeah. Steven. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so this is Flappy Dragon for listeners who haven't been following the saga for the past couple weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three or four week saga yeah. of Flappy Dragon, during which I got two additional friends hooked on Flappy Dragon. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we would like text each other throughout the workday like, I just got the 118th one. Ah. <laughs> I'm going to do a little journal entry on it in my little game dev journal. Mm-hmm. I kind of got a, like a little stack of, so. I just finished uh, Mario and Rabbids, uh, mm-hmm. all the side missions and all this stuff. I'm like at each world, there's five worlds in the game and they, it, it keeps track of all the stuff you picked up, but it doesn't tell you exactly what's left to pick up. Oh. It's a little frustrating. Yeah. Um, but I, there's something to it. I sort of like not being handholded, the, sort of the Ubisoft style. Sure. But all the worlds are like 99% complete. And I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not hunting for 1%. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've got too much self-respect to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me think of the games that do give it to you as a checklist mm-hmm. that you do go for that last 1%. And I'm like, oh man, that's, I actually kind of respect a game for letting, letting me step off of it. Like not worrying about that last percent. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like, yeah, I did it. I pretty much did it. Yeah. yeah. Close yeah. enough. 
but yeah, like the dragons thing, where it was making sure that you, you had all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't just have it. You can't have one hundred nineteen. All right. You know, <laughs> I know how many I have left. I have to get. But they also had the dragons like um, organized into different categories. Mm-hmm. So like, here's your eastern dragon category, and here's your cosmic dragon category. Mm-hmm. They were cool, and your western dragon category. And so you and they'd have they a, little cowboy hats. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> uh, it would have for every single dragon in that category a little silhouette, and when you got that dragon, it would fill in the silhouette with the dragon's name and the dragon's stats and a little bit of lore about the dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only did you know how many dragons you had left out of 120, you also knew which type of dragons you needed to hatch mm-hmm. and what level of rarity. So it gave you a lot of specificity about what you needed to target right. to complete your set. Okay. And I think that um, having that level of specificity makes it makes the next, you know, getting just one more, getting just two more feel a lot more achievable, which is, you know, yeah. more motivational to try to complete it. Okay. Right, because games like that will often, even if they don't have loot boxes, will still obfuscate progress so that you just keep going even if you didn't get the last thing. So this seems like a little bit better than than that. Like a, a more, it, it doesn't, um, it respects your time a little better, it sounds like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. And it was one of the reasons why I played the heck out of it. Yeah. Because I really felt like I was respecting my time. Um. Although at the beginning I was like really skeptical, but as like the game evolved and I kind of and it, the gameplay kind of like changed as you got more into it, mm-hmm. it was really cool. Well, I like that we have these mini arcs of like what what's Ellen playing. It's, yeah, it's a it's a good new feature for the program. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, what's Mark listening to? Is what I want. Oh man! So many weeks ago, I started. I, I was talking about. I guess it was almost a year ago. I was uh, raving about that David Bowie box set. Right. I got, yeah. And that opened the door for me to talk about music on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I decided. <laughs> I'm cool with this. Uh, this new record came out from a band called The Beths, mm. um, called um, uh, Expert in a Dying Field, which is such a great title. Mm. And the lyrics to the title track are like, they really got me. Yeah. But um, it's a band from New Zealand. Oh. And it's just, if, if anyone in the audience is my age and remembers Pete and Pete, imagine a band that would be on the soundtrack to Pete and Pete. That's uh, just, it's a, it's just a rock band. Like, okay. It's, I, I've been listening to a lot of more like, I wouldn't sort of like synth punk or like sort of, um, uh, post punk new wavy kind of modern, like rock, but with a lot of like production. Yeah. Um, um, sort of uh, innovation. Like yeah, that's sure. sort of, that's what I've been doing the last maybe 10 years. Yeah. That's where a lot of the music is. And just this song, it's just a rock song. And it like really brought me back to that that 90s era of those kinds of bands that I loved. Um, but I, for some reason, I'm just totally hooked on this one record and like to the point where I'm bringing it up on the show. So we'll put a link in the show notes to the, the uh, music video for the title track. And I mean, I'm sold on both the band name and the, ti- the title of the album because expert yeah. in a dying field is a phrase. It's a, mm-hmm. it, and it's just the metaphor in the song is so strong. Mm. And like, that's the thing that I love about like a rock band that it can, it, if a rock band can have like, three chords and good poetry like that goes a long way yeah you know um and and they have a just a lot of the 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 ingredients are right there all the things i like so i don't know if it'll hit other people the way it hit me but man it really got me um and and it's not it's very dissimilar to the kind of music i've been listening to lately so and maybe sad news Mm uh it it makes it sound way worse than the problem yeah that definitely Um, (laughs) um, it's not sad news it might it this is going to be our last roundtable for before our hi- our hiatus that we do every year. Yeah, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> extremely bad has happened, as far as I know. I had the same face, like facial expression, as I had from earlier. <laughs> With the dragon, <laughs> really Whoa. throwing me for a loop yeah. today. 
Sorry. It's so, okay. <laughs> listeners may or may not know, um, you listener that I'm talking to now may or may not know, Yes. Um, that every year we go on hiatus for a couple weeks and we, we do nice replays during that time. So we, we rerun some shows uh, that we pick uh, from, the, from the year, mm. um, our favorites, and then we do a little commentary at the top. So it's still a little bit of new content, yes. but it gives us a break over the holidays. Um, and uh, we find listeners do like it, um, yeah. which uh, uh, makes us feel a lot better because it's a lot easier for us to put on reruns. Yes. Um, but that's coming up uh, in two weeks and this is our last round table. Uh, before then, so it's our last time to really just sort of uh, right. talk about it. That's why I'm bringing it up now. We haven't picked the episodes yet. No, we have not. We're gonna do that after the record today. Yeah. Um, but we had some bangers this year. We did indeed. So uh, look forward to uh, a concentrated, uh, high quality uh, holiday season of Nice Games Club coming up. Yeah, it'll be good. Uh, Stephen. Yes. Can you maybe just to keep. Just to keep this trend rolling, can you kick off Mark's topic in a way that scares the crap out of me? <laughs> You've lost your save data. All of your dragons are gone. Oh! <laughs> I didn't think you could do it so easily. Sorry! Dang, that worked. There's just a darkness within me, I think. <laughs> so this is my topic, uh, save data. Yes. Um, I, I'm going to talk about it from a couple of angles, okay. I guess, sort of... Um, you know, from a thousand feet, but also right down on the ground. Yeah. Um, because it's one of those things that when you're making a game, it's like, yeah, I know I got to do this. I'll take yep. care. I'll take care of it later. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty common kind of thing. Um, but as you start, it's it, the thing is, it's really interesting about when you're making a game when you decide you need save data. Is sometimes it happens really early in a project. Sometimes it happens really late in a project. And I think what happens when it happens um, is it's when you. It's when you testing it, when you just hitting play in the editor or doing a build and trying it out, yeah. you can no longer test what you need to test. Yeah. When you actually do need to have some progress and a progression in a game, and you can't just set some values or load up a different scene. Yep. But that can get you a long, long way. It really can. Like, I think we did save data really pretty, relatively early in Widget's uh, Satchel. In Widget's Satchel. Yeah. Right? I pretty think early we on. did. I think it was partly because, like, I was working on it at work, and you asked me about it, and then I, you were like, "Let's just do it now." Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> oh yeah, because I was still doing. I was learning a lot of Unity concepts yeah. at the time, so yeah, yeah. We, we worked through it pretty early. I think. Mm -hmm. um, so that might have been driven by like my need to learn it, mm. um, or it might have, or it might have been driven by the normal things that drive it. But I remember right. us doing it pretty early. Yeah. Whereas with Dream Settler now, uh, we haven't built the save data system yet because ah. we just don't need to. Right. Like, because the 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 game is so atomized. That we can really test a lot of different systems without that yet. Yeah. Um, but it, in preparation for when that we're going to need it, uh -huh. um, I've been building a save data library uh. um, that I have also been using for um, the switch ports that I'm working on this fall. And um, so I've been trying to sort of keep that humming so that when we need it in Dream Settler, I can just plug in the system. Yeah, cool. And so um, this is, you're catching me at a good time to talk about this mm -hmm. because I've been thinking about it a lot. Yeah. Um, in a really abstract sense. Mark. Like, Mark, you chose the topic. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, go with me with the fictional scenario. Yeah. Sure, yeah. we'll yeah. take credit for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been thinking about it in an abstract way. Yeah. So trying to think about because I'm building this system um, for myself and for multiple projects I'm working on, but I'm also intending to roll it up and sell it on the Unity Asset Store. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the that's the ulterior motive for it. I'm trying to like maximize my time by having it serve multiple projects and also maybe be a side uh, hustle for me. Yeah. So that's me trying to be efficient with it. But it requires me to think extremely abstractly about what goes into these things. 
And I started by taking the the save system from Widget Satchel and and sort of filing off all the edges. Yeah. Okay. And there were a lot in there actually. It's very specific to the data that Widget Satchel needed to store. I believe it. And so um, because it was that was never intended to be abstracted. Yeah. Um, but I remember thinking about it, thinking like, oh, I bet that's I bet I could just almost eighty percent take it out. No, not really. Oh, dang. Um, it didn't surprise me once I got into it, but. Before, just as I got into it, I was like, "Oh, okay. Yeah, um, this is maybe a little bit uh, less uh, generic than I'd hoped." Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think when you're doing a save data system, the one thing I'll say is that I, I have some learnings here from what I've been doing. Yeah. But I would say, unless you are, I mean, there's a couple ways you can you can get a third party solution, and I'll be offering one soon mm-hmm. uh, if you're a Unity developer. Um, but I would also say, don't worry about abstracting or genericizing your system. Yeah. All the time. Um, yeah. That that I I go in that direction a lot mm-hmm. for things I'm building, even if I am fairly certain I'm never going to use it for anything else. Um, I mean, it's how I ended up, uh, you know, starting to build a Playdate game, but ended up with a game engine instead. So, oh, like, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a tendency I have, and I, I like it, um, and, and I want to make sure there's a pr- pr- point to that. But I think it can also be, like, a trap if, yeah. you, if you have nowhere else to put that energy. Right. So, that, so that's important for me to make sure I have somewhere to put those abstracted concepts and not just into one game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, uh, like a lot of things, it can be really easy uh, to uh, to sort of uh, put the you know the cart ahead of the horse, I guess. Yeah. Um, anyways, I think the first thing I want to talk about is like, what kind of data do you want to even track? Oh, like, what goes into save data? Real good question. Because I think it can also be very, it can be really easy just to say like I'm going to save the player object. Yeah. And and you have all this extra data associated with it. Yeah. Um, or it could be I'm going to save points and th- and be very atomized mm-hmm. and then realize that oh you know what i actually need a bigger object to store all these smaller objects inside yep. and i've been like i've been like reinventing the wheel six times to build these little save objects mm-hmm. when i sh- and so finding that balance can be kind of tricky um and it really depends on the game you're doing but it's re- that's really a strong part of game design yeah because when you want to think about like i feel like a linear progress game like it's a first person game yep like that's one thing but what if it's a game where you have like a, a player stats that you can change in a menu? Yeah. Well, do you save that when you make those changes or do you wait until you reach, reach a checkpoint in the level to save those right. things? Mm-hmm. And that becomes like it's a UX thing, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes you need to like, okay, does, does this setting go onto the player or does it go into the settings for the game? Yeah. And like I think a lot of those things you kind of assume will come to you naturally. But then once you have to decide, it's like, I actually don't have an opinion on this yet. Right, yeah. Right. Well, in, in the way that games do it nowadays, is it's like all, it feels like magic. Just whenever you need something saved, it's saved for you yeah. a lot of the time. So right. you don't, like as a player, you don't have to think about it as much. Um, yes. And occasionally games will have, the, they'll, they'll be uh, like manual save will yeah. be a big part of their design. Right. And they'll have to really foreground it to the player yes. because they need to, because there's a lot of conventions uh, w- with this sort of thing. Right, right, right. Um, I, I think that's fine. Mm. Um, I feel like if you are like, if you want your game to feel like a lot of other games, then you can just, just feel free to just use all those conventions. Yeah. Um, but if you want to move against them, I think you have to be very careful to make sure that the player will discover them. Yes. Because, you know, what a player expects is maybe different from what you would expect, like, when you started playing games, because yep. things have changed a little bit in the last 15 years. They have. Um, and certainly when it comes to things uh, like uh, like uh, player customization, yep. which, is, which is usually part of save data, mm-hmm. but also, you like, 
and it would be logical to undo that if you don't reach a checkpoint. Yeah. Um, especially if it's a things like assigning points on a skill tree or something. Um, but also that can be frustrating for a player to have to do that over again. Right. Yeah. And also their expectation might be that I did that not as part of gameplay, but as a separate process. Yeah. Whereas you, the developer, think of that as preparing before you enter this zone or this boss fight. Yeah. And so you think of it as a, as a part of the same system. The player may not think of it that way. Right, right. There's a lot of UX considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, um, I think the only advice I have really is just to like, think about it early. Yeah. Um, because it can also change how you make your game. Yeah, Like, sure. especially if you're doing something like a roguelike or where like replay and, and, co- and like procedural content or a replayability is a big part of your design. Um, what you save and don't save and what you present to the player as permanent versus you know ephemeral mm-hmm. um, changes how the game works. Yes. And um, I think the more you think about that, the more opportunity you have to ha- come up with some interesting novel gameplay approaches. Yeah. Instead of just sort of like, oh, this is how it works in these games, so I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. If you find like, well, what would happen if I just saved this? And like, oh, that actually changed a lot of other things. Mm. That's interesting. I'm going to go that way. Or that would ruin everything. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I think right, it's Right, be intentional with it, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it, be mm-hmm. intentional. Yeah. And that's something we say about a lot of topics. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, you know, uh, sort of smaller uh, uh, point in that is like when you want to save. So this yeah. is like the autosave question. Um, I, think, I think it's pretty standard to have autosave during like logical checkpoints in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, forcing players to manually save is a game design choice, yes. but you really have to justify it. I yes. think I, I've seen indie games that do that as a way of like, it's retro. Like that's not a good enough argument. I don't yeah, think. I agree. Like, like it's a it's a reason for it to be that way. Mm-hmm. But the ga- the design of the game itself doesn't justify it. Right. And so I think that you need to. I think you do need to be again intentional about about making those kinds of choices. Right. So just a standardized you know kind of thing. Beat a level, save your progress, right? Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. Um, but you also might want to do uh, checkpoints based not on level progression, but on player time or on um, things that happen in a game. Um, this is something we face in Widget Satchel is when do we save um, whether someone has gotten achievements or not? Oh, yeah. Mm. Because when you, the way, it, the sort of standard way it works is that you award an achievement and then that achievement immediately is saved. It's immediately part of the system. Yep. And the way we did it in Widget Satchel, and I don't know if this is the right decision, but it's it's something that I kind of got attached to, mm-hmm. is this idea that if you achieve something, it's there's some, there's some things in Widget Satchel that are not undoable. Yeah. Um, in, unless you restart the level. And so it feels to me that like if you um, if you were to get an achievement, but then restart the level, then you could get it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because those stats are tracked, um, I think it's like if you hit the same bot twenty times. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that? Or, or maybe if you just hit a hundred bots total. Mm-hmm. Something, something like one of those things where if it, the the that number does reset yeah. when you restart to the last checkpoint. But if you had got the achievement already, what happens when you get it again? Mm-hmm. And I think the I think the standard thing is nothing happens. You already got it. Yeah. But then if you go to your stats page, it doesn't show that you got it because you, the number is lower. Right. Or if you go to your the, in, in in Widget Satchel because we at least on Switch the the achievements are stored on, in the system. Yeah. Um, and we call them feats. Mm-hmm. And there's a menu where you can see which feats you've achieved. And so if you were to see hit 100 bots, but then you go to your stats page and it says you hit 94, Yeah, that's a little confusing. Right. And so the way we handled it was when you get an achievement, the achievement pops up, but it doesn't save it to a third-party system. 
So it doesn't change it to Steam or to Xbox mm-hmm. um, until you reach a checkpoint and then all that is saved. Yeah. And to which point you can't undo it, right? With, yeah. By restarting a checkpoint. Um, I don't remember any players ever complaining about that because then they just get the achievement again. Right. Um, but I think that is a little non-standard. Yes. And the reason, we, the reason I, I really wanted to do it that way was because of how much uh, data we were surfacing in the stat screen. Mm-hmm. Even though not a lot, lot of players visit the stat screen. It felt to me I didn't want to create that that, yeah, that friction. Yeah. 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 But that, I remember thinking about that and they're like, why, how is this not a problem in every game ever? <laughs> you know? Because yeah. we were doing anything particularly special. Um, I mean, I suppose it depends on how you pick your achievements, right? I feel yeah. like a lot of achievements, well, we had a whole conversation on achievements, and I no, I don't like them. But yeah. um, uh, I think depending on like what achievements you do, I feel like a lot of achievements aren't like hit bots a hundred times. Um, but sometimes, I guess there are a lot of achievements like that. I take it back. Yeah, we didn't do any of the like checkpoint achievements, yeah. which I agree with you. Those don't; those have no place in games. Yeah. Um. But um. But yeah, games have all sorts of the uh, just stat tracking achievements. That's true. And on Xbox, you can actually see the a, a progress bar. Yeah. If you program it in, the developer sets it up. Mm-hmm. You can actually see the progress towards that. Yep. And so that is actually kind of interesting. Is like, can that be taken back at all? Does that number get re-reported at any point? Mm-hmm. Um. Are those more about, um. Uh, platform guidelines and not necessarily about the SDK, <laughs> like how that works. Yeah. Um, and we haven't done the Xbox version of Widgets actually yet, so I, yeah. I don't, I haven't dug too deep into that. I think um, we had to do a little bit of that for Treasure Stack, but I wasn't in charge of it, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know a lot of the details. <laughs> a lot of times those stats are like, they're not tracked at the uh, at the per user level. Yeah. They're just tracked at the system level, and so or the the game tracks it overall. Like how many times this ever happens in a game? Yeah, and therefore it makes sense to just award that right away. Mm-hmm. And I think there are maybe two or three achievements that in Widget Satchel which are are like that for that reason. But um, but yeah, there's a lot of them that get awarded, and then the, when the when the stat goes back, it get it doesn't save. Yeah. Uh, or does, and then it doesn't communicate to Steam or wherever. Yeah. Um, and so that was sort of interesting to me. And that is just, that's an example as to why, like, you know, what, when you want to save what you want to save. And when you can get play, I mean, you can, if you don't do this right, you can soft lock players and not even realize it, yeah. right? Um, for all this sort of thing. One of the things um, uh, we're talking about for uh, Dream Settler is uh, when we save things and, w- and again, what we save, because there are so many different systems in it. We have mini games mm. that have their own, <laughs> like, saves, <laughs> oh, and yeah. high scores and stuff like that. And so we made a pretty broad decision that like there is only going to be one player save per experience, and if you have a mini game in that, that will it, that will roll back if you roll back, right? Yep. I think that's logical. It makes some perfect yeah, sense because it's because it, you're still playing the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, one of the things that I was I was asking about like how did you do it in the first game? Because uh, Hypnospace Outlaw has a lot of the the, the same sort of problems that are associated with, it, and um, has a pretty good reputation for not having a lot of corrupted. Saves like that's, people have not complained about it. That that's often. good. Um, which, uh, um, which, if you're a successful indie, that will those things will it will come up. I'll yeah. just tell you, it's definitely going to come up at least once. Yeah. Um, but they had a pretty good time of it, and the solution for them was just they auto save every three minutes. Ah. Oh. And and, and I and I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> that's scary. And and Mike was like, yeah, I don't like it either. But we just okay. it was our way of making sure we didn't do something backwards. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's a good fail safe. So even though it feels kind of wrong. Like and we're gonna tr- we're gonna avoid it in Dream Settler. We're gonna be much more deliberate. But that that is a good solution for when you just got to get it done. Yeah, it's like it's a very it's a it's a blunt instrument, but it works. Yeah, it's supposed right. To be true. Um, and it also means that um, there are more potential problems because there's more opportunities for the player to stop the game in the middle of a save operation. Yeah, but if a save operation is forty milliseconds, 
you, the chances are incredibly low. Yeah. Um, and if you're doing, and this is all I'll get into in a minute, if you're if you're if you're right caching, then if it's something, uh, if the game breaks down in the middle of a save operation, it will not commit that to disk, and so you'll be fine. Yeah. It just won't save, right? Um, but um, yeah, just saving every couple of minutes, it's like it feels icky. But it's a solution, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not a bad one. So if that's where you're at, if you feel like, I don't want to do this, I, it's too complicated, I don't know when this is going to, like, just go ahead and autosave every so often. That's totally fine. Um, all right, so big high-level talk done. Yeah. Um, so a, a lot of this is going to be specific to Unity development because that's what I've been doing lately. Mm. But um, also, um, I think this applies in a lot of the places as well. Sort of like how, what is the actual format you save your data in? Yeah. Um, and so I have a couple of different things that are uh, Unity specific, but they apply sort of elsewhere. The first one is very Unity specific, which is player prefs. Yeah. We've talked about this in a, pre- in a recent episode um, because I've been dealing with this um, uh, in a porting work I'm doing right now. Yeah. Um, player prefs is a very simple Unity utility that lets you just say, save a string, save an integer, and it just saves to a magic place. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> magic. And and the saves are all uh, stored by strings. Yeah. And you can't save Booleans for some reason. So it's just, yeah. so if you want to save a true or false, you got to do ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird thing. Well, that sounds amazing. Uh, it's the worst. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, it gets the job done, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, um, I, I, in the episode recently when I was talking about this, one of the things on Windows, it saves it to your registry. Yeah. That's why it doesn't save a Boolean because a Boolean is just a one and a zero, but registry store uh, hexadecimal hexadecimal uh, numbers and, yeah. and ones and zeros. Yeah. Um, they store them in hexadecimal format. Mm-hmm. But um, that's, I think, why that is. Um, I think it's stored to a, a database file uh, on uh, OS X or Mac OS. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's stored differently per platform. But the idea is, is that it's handled by the operating system yeah. rather than the, the game itself. Yeah. And I think uh, structurally this is a bad idea because you are saving values to disk rather than saving like a save game object. Yeah. It also means you have less control as to when you read and write that, uh, that information. Right. Um, uh, you can, you can uh, change a bunch of values and then write it manually, or you could change values and have them write every time you, you change them. Uh-huh. But it gives you less opportunity to have control over when these things happen. Um, it's not terrible for like system settings which you generally want to take effect as soon as they're entered. Yeah. Um, in terms of a, of a practical sense, it's not the worst. Mm. I still don't like it. Mm. And that's the, the porting job I was doing. That's, that's, I, that was what it was used as, was for, just not for player stuff, but for you know, uh, system settings. Yeah. And I, I needed to change all of that, I felt. Um, and so it's, it's tempting to use it because it's so easy and it works. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's pretty cross-platform. Even consoles, uh, 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 if you're working on console uh, ports, um. Uh. They have recently started to uh, support player prefs. Oh, really? Which is bad news, that. I think. Yeah. It means more people are going to use it. Uh huh. Um. Because yeah, structurally, I don't love. I, it. I mean, it hasn't prevented people from using it in the past. I think. Well, that's <laughs> the thing, and you know, like I had to get off my high horse a little bit. And so, like, you know what? If it's if it's works for you, works for you. Yeah. Um. A medium horse. Me. Yeah. Medium. Horse. <laughs> um. So, uh, I would say don't use this. I would say if you can avoid it, if if you. If it's going to increase the scope of your work uh-huh. to come up with another system, then go ahead and use it. Yeah. Um, it's it's more like if, you know, uh, ideologically I don't like it, but like I'm like, don't work an extra four weeks uh, yeah. just to just to get on that medium horse with me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's good. And that, that involves any kind of system that included as part of your, a, a game engine or a platform that is simple but kind of rudimentary and mm-hmm. maybe not great. Um, I would say go for it anyway if, if you know, uh, 
practical sense if you've got to. Yeah. Um, but always know that you're making the wrong choice, but you're making it for a reason. Right, right, uh, right. So don't apologize, but know that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I don't know. Um, another common thing is uh, XML or JSON. So yes. XML is a markup format. JSON is uh, ridiculous, but it, <laughs> yeah, it's accurate. It's a it's a set of string tables. Yeah. Um, but JSON and XML are essentially just nested uh, strings, mm. um, and you can store strings, you can store numbers and boolean values as strings, and then they can be converted into the correct value, uh, 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 basic uh, mm. data types. Um, it is, I would say, the most commonly recommended way to save uh, data of all types yeah. um, in game development. Yeah. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, it, uh, it's really easy to handle versioning. So if you may update your, your game, um, wh- whether during development or particularly after release, and you add a new value, you change the name of a value, yeah. you store something now instead of as an integer, you store it now as a float because you've decided you want more precision. Um, you store three values instead of two. Mm-hmm. Any changes you make, um, it's a lot easier to to just um, have a variable that says version, which yeah. is just your, the version of your game. And then when you load up the game data, it's much easier to read the data of the old version because you all you need to do is read, read the strings. Yep. You don't need to have the original data structure in your game anymore. You can just say, oh, this is what the old data file was. I'm now going to translate it to the new format just by some string operations. Yeah. Um, Fairly simple, fairly easy. You could also do this manually. So yeah. if someone, if a gamer, if a player comes to you and says like, hey, I have a problem with my save game, then they say, send me the text file because that's what it does. It saves it as a text file. Yes. Um, uh, JSON and XML are not easy to read for someone who's not a developer, but if you're like a modder or something, like you'll get used to it pretty quick. Um, and a developer, it'll just be totally intuitive to you. And you can just change values. Uh, so you can, so modding is good for if you do mods, that's a good way to interact with save data. Yeah. Is you're not using any actual APIs, you're just saving to the same data file. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good way to handle that. Um, and if you're um, trying to fix a file, you know what it's supposed to look like because you yeah. can read it in a text editor. You, you can encrypt JSON files too, right? You can. So okay. if, you're, if you're trying to save you know, a, a, what you're doing, you can, you, can, yeah, you can obfuscate it. You can hash it. You can do all the sort of things you could do. Because one of the disadvantages of this is you know, people can just edit their saves, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they could, I guess, if they want the achievements or something, they could just edit the save and then get the achievements if that's how the achievements are unlocked. Right. I mean, I'll put my foot down and say I don't care. Sure. Uh, that's absolutely fair. I feel the same way. And I will say, if you care about that, you're wrong <laughs> as a developer. Like, okay. Like if you just if you want to make sure that your players get it fair and square, uh-huh. like whatever, it's between them and God. Like <laughs> you don't you don't have to care. No, I agree, but I think that there are certain I, and there might be some situations where you might want to encrypt your save for some reason. I don't yeah, know. that's I guess my yeah. There may be reasons. Yes. But I would say the normal reasons you think of yeah. are usually things you just if you really think about it, it you actually. Don't matter. You shouldn't care about. Yes, I, um, there's nothing for you to protect. Now, when yeah. it comes to things like storing things on on a player's disc that involves, like, if you are trying to like uh, save a spoiler in the game, yeah, like, I mean, that also who cares? Mm-hmm. But you might care a little bit more than right. if they're able to change their score. Yeah, you know, um, things like that, or or you're trying to um, uh, um, uh, obfuscate data that you don't want people to extract mm-hmm. and reuse because you have the copyright to that that data. Yes. Um, you know, that's I think that's more legitimate than trying to prevent people from, you know, uh, cheating. Yeah. Um, but that is one reason you might want to avoid uh, a, a text-based format. The other reason is that it's kind of hard to put together sometimes. Mm. So in Widget yeah. Satchel, the, the, the game stores 
So if you've played Winded Satchel, you know there's just piles of junk laying around oh, that, yeah. that when, when Sprocket runs into, and it's really just, it's visual flourish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's very few game mechanics attached to it except for the levels that Ellen designed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so um, it, it's part of the aesthetic of the game. It's part of the feel of the game. Mm-hmm. But because there are a couple of puzzles associated with it, and because I wanted the game to feel contiguous as you enter and leave it, yeah. and you can actually pile up junk and leave it there, yeah. right? And I didn't want that junk, that pile to go away yeah. if you came back to your save. And so um, uh, it stores the, the value of, of the position and status of every piece of junk in a level. Mm-hmm. Thousands and thousands of, yeah. of, of vector threes. <laughs> Especially on the levels I made. Yes. <laughs> And so that is just in a JSON file. It's not interesting to read that. Right. Um, and it's enormous. Yes. Um, and so, um, oh, actually, the, the real problem is that actually translating that data is an operation step for each of those objects. Mm. Whereas if you save it um, in the next way I'm going to talk about, it's really just a matter of taking the binary piece of information and saying, put it on disk. Yeah. Um, it's much easier for the developer. It's much faster uh, at runtime. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will say the delta between doing it the hardest, most complicated and longest way versus the simplest and, and speediest way is not a big delta. Yeah. You're not going to have a ton of performance differences. I think, you know, saving, um, and you'll see this a lot even before solid state drives, saving player data to disk does not take a lot of time. Right. Um, a lot of times you'll see that whirly gig in a game for longer than it's really supposed to be there yep. for like assurances or to bring attention to the fact that it's saving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very frequently, you will see that saving whirly gig in a video game for three times as long as it takes to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so you know it's happening. Right. So that it communicates to the player. That's how fast these things generally are. Yeah. Even for very big, complicated games. Um, and so um, it's not that big of a difference. But um, I didn't want to introduce any potential problems because who knows, the next le- level Ellen makes for us might have so much junk <laughs> that it would actually be <laughs> translating those all into... Into you know raw string right. data would just be- imagine super widget satchel. <laughs> <laughs> now I am. <laughs> so it's it's difficult to do. Um, I think I say difficult, but it's you have to be a little more deliberate with it. Yeah. Uh, and also, and when you're making your game, and you get to that decision point where you're like I better start saving this data. Mm-hmm. If you haven't already thought about how you're structuring it and formatting it, and how you turn what is essentially a bunch of custom data types into strings, integers. Um, you know, booleans, yeah. uh, uh, very basic data types. Um, it, it's going to be, it's going to, you're going to have to do a lot more of that. You're going to backtrack that work a little bit more. Yep. Yep. So that is a reason why it's difficult. And it's kind of the reason I don't recommend XML or JSON generally. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my big twist. Um, I would say, like, that's what I told you to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. <laughs> You learn things better than me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, it's, like I said, it's the most, if you ever go on a web forum and say, yeah. how do I save this data? Everyone just comes back to you. Use the JSON formatter. Yeah. That's the way you do it. You got to do it. That's the way you do it. And, and I think there's nothing wrong with following that advice. Yeah. And that's why I went through all the reasons why it's a really good idea. Uh-huh. Because there's lots of advantages to it. Yeah. But I think those advantages don't necessarily outweigh the ease of use of sta- saving data as in binary formats. Mm. And what I mean by that is taking the object in your game as it's stored in memory mm-hmm. um, and just serializing that to disk as a binary file. Yeah, um, It's much easier to, as a developer workflow. Um, it's harder for, to do versioning, yeah. but that is a single process you go through. So making sure that you're, it's going to work properly, that you keep it, that you're 
it, rather than going through every piece of data you're going trying to save and making sure it's suitably written as a you know as it turned into something that's JSONable. Um, I think that's a bigger process. It's a little bit more finicky. You might miss a thing. You might change. You got to change your mind a lot. Yeah. Um, especially as your data types change. Um, I think um, storing a, the player save object as a binary file is that ease is. I think people underestimate that when they recommend using a, a, a string format. Sure. Um, but there are some caveats, right? And this is one of the reasons why people don't recommend doing this. Um, one is that um, the the standard way to do this in uh, C sharp. Uh, that that is the the .NET uh, uh, API that Unity uses right. is the binary formatter, which uh, takes an object and it serializes that to a binary file, and then you can take that file and you can put it on disk. Mm -hmm. Easy peasy. It works with everything. It's yeah. basically magic. Yeah. It's really really nice. Yeah. But it will store things like functions and uh, code, and it will store a lot of things that you should not be saving to disk. Yeah. If you care about um, things like security. Yeah. And white boxing and all the stuff that you would do about being a, a like a responsible software developer. Mm -hmm. As game developers, I don't think we care that much about stuff like this. Well, I'm certainly not responsible. Like, <laughs> I mean, this is the thing where like uh, you talk like a bunch of uh, speedrunners will talk about how they can execute code by using yeah. an NES controller. Uh -huh. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about, mm -hmm. basically. At, at that, you're, it's not quite. You're not that close to the metal necessarily. Yeah. But essentially, the windows are a little bit cracked open for that kind of attack and this is essentially for the developer it's not necessarily that your application is going to be used to compromise somebody's operating system yeah necessarily but your your application will read a data format and then will execute code from it and if it and if the deserializer can do that so it's there's potential there yeah sure it's very small but it's very serious when it comes to like you know the kind of software that the .net framework is used right. all all over the world by you know, by, you know, uh, proper software developers <laughs> making yeah. proper software. Yes. And so the binary formatter is officially depreciated uh -huh. in .NET oh. and will be removed at some point. Oh. Now, good news for people using it is you can always use the old SDK, right? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but if you're using Unity and you're kind of keeping up with things, Unity's version of the .NET framework is, lags a little behind the, the, the up-to-date one, yeah. which is probably a good thing, frankly. But uh, so it'll probably be a couple more years before it's uh, taken away from Unity developers. Yeah. But it's on the horizon. Okay. Um, and so if you can avoid it, uh, you should. Um, if you can't, just like with player prefs, like go for it. Like <laughs> ignore everybody's warnings. Yeah. You're not making, you know, security software. Mm. It's fine. Um, so because it does work kind of like magic. Consider how you're versioning your software. Making sure, make sure that when you change your data structure. That uh, especially if the game is live, that you can still read the old save files, yeah. make those translations, and then save the new version and make that seamless to the user. Yeah. That's really important. Um, but the advantages for binary formats are it allows you to compress the data, um, which means that you can read and write it way faster. Mm -hmm. um, again, these are not huge numbers, but, but it's still something. It's still something, right? If you're trying to save a little bit of time anywhere. It's a place you can save some time. Yeah. Uh, and if you are storing, if you have like a RTS or something that has just tons and tons of data, mm -hmm. like it is much more efficient to uh, serialize it to a data format, compress it, and save it as less than a kilobyte instead of, you know, half a megabyte. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very good point. Yeah, so, and if you're making save operations lots of times, or you're on a console which has uh, uh, limits as to how often you can access the, the, the disk. Uh, before you know, certification will come back and say, "Hey, this is too much. You're going to wear out our systems." Mm -hmm. um, 
that is a consideration for that. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So how else can you save things in binary? How can you possibly do it? Good question. Well, there's a, a, <laughs> new, a fancy new thing. And I say new, it's like a decade old. Oh. Called protobuf. It's a protocol buffers. Oh. Um, don't tell me. Don't ask me what that means. Okay. It's a framework that was developed by Google over a decade ago, and the idea is is to take data, a uh, binary data, and structure it more like XML, so that um, it um, so that all the sort of problems with binary format or, or those types of things yeah. um, are no longer apply. Oh. And so you can just feed it binary data, and it will it will spit out. Um, uh, serialized or deserialized objects that you can uh, put to disk. Okay. Um, and so uh, it's not a proto a protobuf is a is a framework for Unity. It's language agnostic. Mm. Um, and so it's it's just a it's basically a philosophy, um, <laughs> and, and a framework and a system. And yeah. it's it's pretty well uh, established. It's used in a lot of places, a lot of applications. There is a implementation uh, for C sharp and .NET called protobuf .NET. Um, that has also been around for nearly a decade. Okay. Um, maintain open source uh, uh, tool made by, maintained by one person. Oh. Um, it has contributors, but it's just one person maintaining it. Right. And they've changed the API to be much more familiar to .NET developers. Oh, so I've been using this a lot lately, and it's what I'm using in my save data system. Yeah. Um, so that I can avoid using binary formatter, frankly. It's also incredibly fast. Mm. Cool. And, and the compression level is much better. Um, than using binary format. It's just better as well. Um, it is a little, uh, it's a lot harder to use. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> because you kind of have to, you have to, um, so when you're in, using Unity, you have to mark things as serializable. Yeah. Like if you want if you want to put, take a class, a whole class and save it to disk, if the market is serializable, yep. um, that, and that also lets Unity read it in the inspector and so on, but mm -hmm. that also lets you save it to disk. Yeah. Um, I think actually binary formatter might not care about that, but um, um with uh, a protobuf, you need to mark every single attribute within a class. You mark the class as a a, um, a, a data con a contract. You have to mark each item as a member of that of that contract. Oh. and it, so it's a little complicated. And it stores because it's very data efficient. Yeah, um, it stores every object as an integer. Uh, um, as a table in an integer. Okay, or an integer in a table. Yeah, and uh, so uh, that keeps you really honest. So you're not gonna anytime you change your data structure. Uh, great, you've already assigned a number to that other thing. It's not going to mess it up, right? You'll assign a new number to this new thing. Yeah. Or I'm going to change the name of this. doesn't matter. It's stored in the format as five. So yeah. that doesn't change. Okay. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, now, cool. my problem for my generic system mm -hmm. is I want to make this easy for someone to use. So I have a whole set of challenges towards building that system without the user's input um, and then uh, making sure that they can still handle versioning properly. Yeah. So I have a whole separate problem with that. But I think for someone just using it, it it does teach you a couple things as how to sort organize your data in a really clever way mm -hmm. that um like I really I do wish you could store things as strings that it could take the name of and store it that way yeah. um because for for because I'm I'm okay to take the performance hit on that mm -hmm. um but anyway those are my specific complaints but it's um it works a lot like uh um the binary former and you can feed it anything okay um, cool. and if if it if it's I think you can't feed it actions or functions yeah um actually maybe you can i'm not sure yet i haven't tried that it's not a thing you'd want to save right this is another thing about um deciding what to save um when you have a save data object you could save the player object if you store all the variables on the player yeah but then you're gonna have a lot of data that you don't that you need don't. Mm -hmm. and you're not gonna you're gonna you know deserialize that object from disk and then you're gonna read like a third of its data mm -hmm. to rebuild the new player mm -hmm. uh, in the it, uh, when the game continues so you want to be a lot more deliberate about that yeah and what's nice about uh, the way that prototype of networks is that um you actually can 
you can be very deliberate about those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and also you have a good idea of what it is at all times instead of having the system decided for you. Mm -hmm. um, so that's quite nice. Um, cool. And so I recommend that if you're, uh, if you're, if you don't want to use a JSON format, if you if you are concerned about speed, um, protobuf.net uh, is a way to go. We'll put a link in the show notes for that. It is a little hard to learn, okay. but once you got it figured out, it's actually really quite intuitive. Mm. So I think it's worth it. Um, and um, I'm going to be building this into the save data system I'm using. So when that's ready, I'll talk a little bit more about it and the considerations that I do for the user of my library versus someone who has to use protobuf.net directly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I don't know, that's kind of the whole thing about formats. Um, yeah. There's not a lot of other ways to save to disk um, than the sort of two main ones. Yeah. Um, huh. And really, it's just about, I can't give a lot of recommendations on what to store or not. Because that really just depends on how your game works. Yeah, so the work, the last topic on this is workflow, which is really, the I just have one piece of advice on this, which is that, um, and this is why you don't want to use player prefs, mm. is you want to have a save data object that lives in memory as your game is running. And then you want to save you want to save that to disk. Yeah. So you don't want to say um, save player dot this and 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 enemy dot that. Yeah. You want to have all that data stored in uh, player save dot whatever, right? You want the player to be unconcerned about that. You want the player to read the save data yeah. to determine its values. You don't want to save the player object, and that is just so you can keep all of your ducks in a row. Yeah. Um. And so and it also means that you're only saving when you want to save. So all that stuff lives in memory. And then when you hit a checkpoint, you can put it to disk. Yes. Or if you're the type of game that saves the disk anytime anything changes, still a good idea mm -hmm. because you're only saving the things you need to save. Mm -hmm. And so that also comes to like, how do you split up your save data? So you can have your save data as a folder and then a bunch of objects in it. Because let's say I'm always, I want to always know. I want the, uh, the player to be able to close the application anytime, mm -hmm. but always know where they are on the map. Yeah. So I'm saving to disk the position on the map every half second. That's ridiculous, yes. but let's say you want to do that. <laughs> well, that's going to be its own file then okay. probably yeah. because then you're not saving a ton of data. And the way you would structure it is you put it in a folder on, on, on the thing. And you can do that on any platform. Um, you know, you just want to structure it uh, that way. So again, it's about being deliberate and intentional about how you're going to do it. But always yeah. think about your save data as not things in your game you're saved to disk, but a save data object that lives in your game and then occasionally you'll write and read from disk. Yeah, so you have a separate system mm -hmm. to read and write that data versus to stay, uh, to store and, and retrieve values from that object. Yeah, that's a good. Because I think that can get you a lot of trouble very quickly. Mm -hmm. Your save data becomes this enormous file uh, way before you need it. Um, and so, and and again, intentionality. I mean, you said yeah. it. Like that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the key word. Right, no, and I think that, that particular is, is good advice. Yeah. Know, keep it separate. Um, it's a lot of utility, as you were saying. It's good stuff. Well, I've dragged this on for quite a while, but any questions? Uh, I can't believe you don't want to use JSON. <laughs> <laughs> I understand are, why. Are you, are you at the uh, a, at the altar of of, of string altar? Data? No, but it's just easier. Yeah, <laughs> and I like things easier <laughs> with my coding. But I totally understand. I, I, I uh, and this Potter rough thing seems interesting. I, I don't think it's going to change your mind. Probably uh, not, but <laughs> I'm, I can still look into it more. I don't know. I, I use Game Maker now instead of just Unity. I'm a new man. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, Eric also got a shirt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he got the Nice Games Club shirt. Oh, that's a good one. It is a good one. Do you have one? I have one. Just one? I, I Well, I have one and Dale has one. So okay. we, in our household, we have two. That's oh not fair. I only have one. 
I got my mom one. Well, there you go. To get my dad one. Well, where can she even go to get a second, third, and many more? Well, it's really complicated URL. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. It's nicegames.club. Slash. Does that have forward, forward slash? It's just your regular slash. See, that's the thing, is people always say forward slash. And I'm like, you don't have to say forward. Because you don't. <laughs> I'm distracting. So there, there is another slash, but no one uses that. So, Ellen, there's more to this URL? Yes. Oh, yes. Nicegames.club slash shirt. 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 Okay. I, I wrote that down. You don't even need to, you don't need to put anything else. Yeah. But, okay. you know, that's what you got to remember. Now, I'm convinced, but what could you say to someone who's like, I don't know about this shirt? Mm. Well, you know, it's got a really cool logo on it. It's true. Um, designed by a guy named Mark. Uh-huh. A professional. Professional. Um, and, you know, I think the thing that's really cool is it's like really classy. Because it's got, like, yes. like just the logo on the front. And then it's got little nice game stuff on the back. And, like, it's not really in your face about it. But you know what? You know what is really good to have in your face is the soft shirt. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. like, yeah. So I got to be honest. I was not prepared for how nice the shirt was <laughs> decided to go with with this supplier. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, it looks good. It's got the heather gray I'm into. <laughs> cool. And then it arrived. I'm like, oh, it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> you just rub your face all over it like you're a cat or something. You know? Yeah. It's really good. Which is actually, you know, if you are a person who has a partner, get the shirt for your partner so you can hug them and get your face on that nice shirt. There you go. True. Free pillow. Basically. basically. And it does come in heather gray, but it also comes in heather blue. Yeah. Which you oh. don't see very often. No, you d- Okay. Well, I'll see got ideas now going to nicegames.club slash shirt checking out these shirts i mean holidays all the different colors holidays are like here holidays are here oh we did a whole shirt spot <laughs> and we didn't talk about oh, all right okay well nicegames.club slash shirt what does innovation sound like it sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer client or patient it sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. All right. No, 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 wait. You got to try to scare me again. I I don't I don't want to scare you anymore, Alan. You're too good at it. I'm really good at it. Yeah, but I Yeah, I don't know if you can do it as well as you did the other two times. Hello oh, is down. <laughs> That's just a bummer. It's not scary. All right. I'm not as good at it. <laughs> I'm taking it. That's what we're using. Uh, my topic is <laughs> interdisciplinary communication. Mm-hmm. Why did I pick such a wordy title just to have Alan say it? That's part of the reason. Uh, I I nailed it during the intro. (laughs) You did, actually. You did. I was a little disappointed. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry. I, you know, uh, I am the only programmer at Future Club. And so I oftentimes have to talk about my code uh, to artists. And, uh, you know, they don't code. So it's hard for them to be like, it's hard for me to describe all the the work that I'm doing Mm -hmm. and make it feel like I'm actually doing work. (laughs) So that's part of the problem. Um, But in the same vein, I am not an artist. I don't draw and stuff. So like when people are like, oh, I did this thing. I'm like, wow, art's cool. But like, (laughs) I don't know how they did it. I don't know what the format is in or anything like that, which is probably bad because I'm their only programmer and I should know what the format is. (laughs) So there's that nexus between the the technical expertise that you both need. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And neither of us have it. Um, So 
I want to talk about that with y'all because mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm curious how y'all are going about it at your jobs and not jobs. Um, and I guess I'll just talk about my own experiences yeah. too. Um, yeah, and I think also in the same vein of this, like you know, I I have some game design experience, but I'm not the game designer on my team, so like I still have to communicate with uh our, our game designer to talk about like how these things are going to go into it. But but I don't have the full idea, big picture about how all the systems come into place and things like that. Mm-hmm. So like sometimes I'll be like, oh, I need to implement this thing this way. I guess should I? I'll ask the designer and then be like, no, actually you need to do it this way and this way and this way. And then I have a better understanding of it. And that's a little bit easier for me because I have that background knowledge as yeah. to why they would want to do it. But um, it's still valuable to just have these skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the like, way I've had handled like talking about things other people don't know anything about um, is like I've sent them examples of like code or like what the code can do. I've tried documenting things. I'm getting better at that. Uh, all right (laughs) (laughs) um meetings like an explainer thing where you Mm -hmm. just like share your screen and point out stuff that's been helpful uh more meetings just lie on meetings actually meetings are great Mm -hmm. for these things for this purpose in particular good meetings are great good meetings are great great meetings are better (laughs) uh and then dms you know on slack or discord or whatever you do your business on i hope you don't do your business on discord you probably do your business on discord too i guess some people do a lot of people do but slack and teams are pretty common yeah yeah more focused on it but discord for small teams works fine yeah that's true that's true um i was saying that but like we use discord (laughs) well yeah but we're not no no no. i'm talking about the team i'm on oh (laughs) it didn't oh really i was like oh right yeah we just yeah we we don't even have we just have a private a DM that that it has four people in. It. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's <laughs> you don't all have it is. Separate channels, <laughs> and then we have we have a, a a Discord server that we talk with our publisher. Yeah, that has some categories. Yeah, and then the porting team that's working on the first game and handling their bug reports and stuff. Oh, so, but like, yeah, I remember thinking like, oh, this is gonna be tricky, but our team is so small. Right. Yeah, okay, that it kind of works. But I was like, yeah, go ahead and use Discord. I'm completely forgetting that that's how I get by. <laughs> That's wild to me. Because we, a nice game club, we use Slack for us. We do. To, to organize. But, but I mean, like, we, and we could get away with using Discord. I we think. certainly it's basically could, yeah. everything. We, t- we only have one channel that we talk about. Yeah, but it's for the same reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, I just can't imagine working on a thing and not having separate channels for stuff. I would have, I would have, like, kicked some dust up, but I was new at the time. Oh, like, okay. You know what? I'll see. And then by the time I felt like I could kick up some dust, I decided it didn't matter. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, yeah, right. I mean, okay. That's the strategy. Well, I suppose actually, you know, what's interesting about that is like you get exposed to everybody's content um, and all their conversations. Well, theoretically, I suppose yeah. some people would have, you know, separate DMs if they need separate things and you don't need to hear about it or other people don't need to hear yeah. about it or whatever. Well, that's the thing about our project is yeah. that all three of us need, not necessarily need to, mm-hmm. but it is useful for all three of us to know everything the other two is doing. Right, yeah, and so as and a, we all weigh in on each other's choices. Yeah, and our, uh, uh, and and it's like I'm going to do it this way. Thoughts. Yeah, and then, well, so we do a lot of that. Exactly, and that's fascinating, right? Because sometimes I will have those kinds of things. Like I'll, I'll, uh, the way that I'm formatting uh, certain, uh, uh, the way that like this code works or something isn't quite working the way I want it to in in Game Maker Unity, whatever. Yeah, uh, I will sometimes go to the team and be like, "How should I approach this?" Um, but I have to figure out a way to communicate that, so it's not like. How should I write this function so that it uses the right, uh, the right <laughs> variables? <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm not describing all that. I'm just describing the issues that I'm having and why this would be an issue for things down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, so you gotta like, you have to like, be able to communicate that in a way that other people can understand. Mm-hmm. And it, it, these are all, what, this is like that section of what's it called, soft skills. 
people want you to have at your job, but they don't train you to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I guess this is the, this is the conversation part starter, right? Is mm-hmm. like, this is, this is the, the jump into it. You're going to want to learn all these things because like odds are, you're not going to be the only developer. Even if you are the only developer, you sometimes need to communicate these problems to other people because you're on the unity forums and you're like, this specific thing doesn't work. Or you're on Game Makers Reddit, and this this bug has been plaguing me for three weeks, and I don't know how to fix it. You Are know? you speaking um, from experience? Right, right. You, <laughs> you may be a person who might do something like that. Right, right, right. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you are, um, you you need to be able to to to, to come communicate these kinds of things. And so I think the the way the like ways I found to do that is like you break it down into simple, um, like easy enough for people to understand outside of programming and then like they will give you answers and you can translate that into code speak um and same thing with art like i'm not like i said i'm not an artist so i have a hard time explaining what i'm looking for from a particular art piece or something like that but i can look up examples um of art that i'm that i'm thinking of Mm -hmm. or i can try to describe it and then the artist can be like oh is this what you mean and they'll talk about it or sketch something out and i'll be like yes that's it or no that's not it and then you you know you can have a back and forth um so like i think part of it frankly is with these kinds of conversations is just starting the conversation yeah um and it's kind of hard too because when you don't know what you're talking about or what you're asking for you can feel foolish um coming to somebody and being like um please artist what what kind of circle (laughs) one art please one one art please can you make it look more you know dynamic yeah (laughs) well yeah i mean because like you know there is that that connection between disciplines right. can often overlap in a way that you don't expect it to. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, like you know, you're asking for things from an artist, but what you're actually asking is for them to be a tech artist and you to be a tech artist. Yeah. Like like just for the mo- just for a moment, right. just for five minutes, you mm-hmm. both need to be one thing. Yes. And and but you're both talking, and so it is. It, but it's hard to realize that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And I think what you need to do is you need to you need to like what do you need, um and. And then express it in a way that will make sense to that person. Yes. But a lot of the the preamble to that is explaining what you're going to do with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Because here's the best part about this that I think a lot of people don't realize mm-hmm. is you can explain to somebody what you need and what and why you need it. Yeah. In your own language. Right. Yeah. And they'll be able to to understand it in their language. Yeah. Like it doesn't. It's not necessarily. And what's great about that is that then they will have some. They'll have some ideas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like oh yes. The reason you need that is because of X. Then I will take my knowledge and 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 background and understanding to provide you with X. Yeah. Using my talents, even though you didn't ask for that. Yes. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is that kind of stuff you gotta? Yeah. Uh, if you can, if you can explain the purpose of it, then people can understand you and. Whatever, however you're describing it, then you can start talking about variables and functions and all this yeah. other junk, and they'll be like, "Yeah, I guess if you use this thing, thing, and this thing, and it'll work out just fine." If you do blah blah blah, you and know, you got to do when it's two programmers talking. Yeah, you got to do that because do. that's the thing I'm, we're doing on Dreamset. Or Mike mm-hmm. and I will talk back and forth because we're working on different systems, right? And then suddenly they need to talk to each other. Yes, and then I need to explain to Mike how I built this system that he hasn't seen yet, mm-hmm. and and he needs to describe to me the system he built I haven't seen yet. Yeah, and we need to decide what's the best way to link them up. Yeah, and we're we're basically compl- coming from two different worlds, right? Even right, though right. we're speaking the same language and writing the same language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have a giraffe. He has an elephant, and you have to make sure that he understands you have an elephant without him being able to see the elephant. Right. Yeah. That. Or, or I've ever heard of an elephant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that's yeah, that's a good way of describing that. Did you did you just come with that up up on the fly? It's like that's totally no, I did not. Oh no, there's like it's kind of. I was just thinking it's based on this this the way that like if you if you it's like a story or like an aphorism or something that if you like take a blind person and let them feel one part of an elephant, yeah, they feel the trunk, they'll think an elephant is like a big long noodle, mm. right? Because like if and that's that's probably very reductive to people who do not have sight, but like. The idea being is that if you're only giving people like unlimited access to the thing, right. then they will have a, an incorrect concept. Um, yeah. yeah. So you got to the give them the, 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 the big picture. Right. Well, there's another way to take that metaphor, which yeah. is that you don't need to burden someone with the knowledge of the whole elephant. Yeah. If yeah. all they're going to be doing is, I don't know, plugging a cord into its nose. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure this, the metaphor out. Uh -huh. But if they, just need to interact, behind if they just need to interact with the trunk. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Right. Um, then and they don't need to know. How they don't need to know work. about the rest of the elephant. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sure. They because you're the one who can then evaluate. Like, is this going to work for the whole elephant? So there's maybe maybe you'll there's a little back and forth, but in terms of efficiency's sake, sometimes you just want to trust them to know only as much as they need to know, yes. mm -hmm. and not burden them with more knowledge. That then they'll start making decisions that you should be making. And that's yeah. that's an important part of it too is that trust aspect mm -hmm. because like uh, you know as as I'm the only programmer I'm. The expert in, pro in programming, I'm using quotes. Uh -huh. I am the expert. That's why they hired me, but I'm using quotes because yeah. I don't What's know. great is as an audio podcast, <laughs> yeah. people at home won't realize you're doing that. Yeah. And so that they'll think that you're really serious and oh, what you're talking about. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So I wasn't using quotes. Uh <laughs> Who's editing this? <laughs> <laughs> so they have to come to me <laughs> when, uh, you know, they need code advice or something that don't quite understand how this works or like they need a feature in or something like that. Mm -hmm. So they are trusting me with my expertise to help them through this thing or, you know, create a task. So I have to do this later or something like that. Yeah. Um, and in this, in the, in the same way, um, I don't know art. So if I need like a UI or something, I have to go to the people who can do that for me because I cannot do that myself. Mm -hmm. I can make something really crappy looking so it'll, <laughs> so we can test it. Yeah. But um, that's about it. Um, and so, like, you know, I, I defer to people who are more knowledgeable about that. And it's important for you as a uh, coworker, teammate, uh, partner, what have you, to, um, you know, defer when necessary, when it when it's appropriate, when somebody else has more expertise about a certain thing. And even, even in this particular case where you were talking about, Mark, where, like, you know a particular part about the code and uh, Mike knows a particular part about the code. Um, you defer to Mike about like the things he knows about specifically and things like oh, that. Oh yeah. yeah, you have to, I mean, just in the interest of your own time, yeah. you have to be like, I'm not going to learn this whole other part of the application yeah. because there's someone over there doing a great job with it. Exactly. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I yeah. just need to, I just need to give them what they need from me and then I do not, cause I, cause I'm not going to burden myself with that whole elephant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Elephant's back. Uh <laughs> But an important part of that when you're talking yeah. about, especially as you sort of like do a little self-deprecation about like you being the expert. In right, that, right. Is you do need to be really, one, confident in mm -hmm. that if you are the one who knows about these things, then you are the expert. Yes. But also you need to be really honest and, and open and say like if you actually are like having trouble. Right. And there's no one else to go to. Right. You need to let the people who you need to interact with know. Yeah. I'm having some difficulty with this. I, d I don't know this system as well as, as, as maybe I should or maybe I will. Mm -hmm. um, so sit tight. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I'm being super open with or, learning game maker. <laughs> or being like, I don't know how this works. So can we do it a different way? Yes. And that, 
because the person you're talking to, like they don't, they know nothing about what you're doing, mm-hmm. and so they're not going to be worried. You're already constraining their what they have to do. Yeah. So you know, don't force yourself into a situation, especially if you're trying to do things the right way. Yeah. Um, like do it the way you can do it, the way that you and the people you're working with can can work the best together. Yep. And if that means you need to learn something new, so you can take, so you can make things easier for them or make things better for the project. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. But if if it's if you could do a workaround or you could take the knowledge that you have and 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 guide the other people to make it easier for you, mm-hmm. go for that. Yeah. Um, there's no you know there's um. There is no run one right way, right? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. With with all things games, there's just so many ways you can go about things that it makes it flexible for you to be able to do it the way you want to do it mm-hmm. um, in the way that makes most sense for how your game is working. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool. And all these things work together. So the more that they're the, – the way they interact with each other, the yeah. more that they're thought of as a part of this project and not part of any project, yeah. the more deliberate the whole thing will be and the more connected and holistic the whole systems will all be together mm-hmm. because they were the, the the interchange between those two components was designed together by those people yeah. rather than just saying, well, this is the kind of thing this needs and that's the kind of thing that needs. So let's both figure out how to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, if you can't, you know, if you can't meld minds, like the next best step is to actually just, you know, work uh, with what you've got yep. to come up with something together. Yeah. Right. Instead of having to like, you know, square peg round hole kind of it. Right. Yeah. I was just reminded of that video where he's like, that's right. It goes in the square hole. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hate that Look video. At this triangle one. It goes in the square hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that being said, all of this stuff, you know, is great information, but this doesn't always work because sometimes, uh, people need more attention, not just because like they're not understanding a thing, but because like they might need more features than what you're providing them, yeah. or more more information than what you're providing them. Um, and so like you might have to have more conversations about it. And a lot of these things take time, right? You can't just be like five minutes go. This is how this works now. Okay, go to it. You gotta. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you gotta sit there and explain it for an hour. Yeah. Um, and it takes some time, but then people understand it, and then they can use that information. The like it's better to spend that hour now than to spend five hours fixing a problem mm-hmm. later yeah um so it's it's valuable to do that but also i mean sometimes uh it's difficult for people to pick up on these things right away because their minds work differently um and so like you you might want to you know just take time for people so that they can better understand it for their own sakes um yeah you gotta I, like try different things and if your elephant metaphor doesn't work then you go with something like a beluga i don't know <laughs> <laughs> exactly um i've had a lot of conversations around like git um and version mm-hmm. control um uh when i when i first on started purpose no <laughs> <laughs> most definitely no uh, <laughs> but we needed you know we need a version control because we're a, we're a team and we yeah. have to the people are going to be working on the same project um, if there's one thing that thing. visual artists have the hardest time understanding <laughs> conceptually yeah it, it's git yeah uh that it was took me a long time yeah. because i came from as a visual right artist. right right it was a it, because i had my own way of tracking files yeah and man, it took me a long time mm-hmm. just to like unlearn some things. Yeah, and and so I, I now have to do things two ways because yeah. they are totally different when right. I do art versus code. Yeah, but man, that's hard for people to wrap their mind. It's around. it's and it's it is very difficult. Yeah. Um, like I totally understand. And so like you have to take time to explain it. And like sometimes you can go about it. It d- depends on different people. Some people want to know how the whole thing works so that they can use that information to better make decisions down the line. Yeah. Some people want to just know how to push something up to the repo and that's all they need to know right time being. Um, and that makes sense too. Cause like that might be the only thing they do for five months and they don't need to have that yeah. other information. Um, so I, you know, it, 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 it always depends on the situation. Situational. It's always, yeah, that's our, 
that should be our mantra. Um, it depends. Yes, it depends and play test. Uh, <laughs> I think the, the best que- the best question to answer though is always yeah. why. Yes. Um, yes. Exactly. Someone doesn't need to know the the how necessarily, or even the yep. what all the time. Mm-hmm. But if they know the why, then yeah. they'll be better prepared for like the next time you need to interface. Right. Or they'll 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 be able to figure out they'll be able to guide their work closer to what you need before they ask you the question. Yes. Right. Yeah. And if they can run into issues, they know it's an issue, and not it's they 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 don't know that it's not an issue if they're actually an yeah. issue. That's a weird, vague way of saying it, but it can be a problem <laughs> yeah. really quickly. Um, another thing I want to bring up is documentation. I think Mark's going to hate me for saying this. I think. Getting ready. Documentation is nice in a vacuum, but sometimes you need to do things outside of documentation. And just having the words and the information to use isn't always going to help people be able to implement the stuff that they need to implement. Right. So you're talking about like also doing drawings and stuff to make things clear. Uh, <laughs> sure, Mark. <laughs> well, I'm actually really curious what you're talking about. Though. Well, okay, so I well, I think part of it is my documentation skills are uh, not great, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm still working on it. But like, I I feel like I've uh, I, I I feel like I've been documenting a lot of like the variables and the functions that people can use to code things, because um, they have to do their own code sometimes mm-hmm. now um, with some of the things that we're working on. But I think that it's difficult to like see all of the different functions that you can use and if you don't have that back or coding knowledge be able to convert that into an actual functional usable thing yeah that makes sense like you can see all the functions and all the functions are well documented you know all the variables that go into it you know exactly what this function does you know exactly how this function works um but if you don't have that background it's difficult to be like oh i can take this function use it in a loop and get all access to all these different things and yeah. then convert things that i need or whatever um if you right, don't have that you're 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 talking about there's one thing to document the use of something yes. and then there's one thing to document like the using it as parts for something new exactly right and yeah. that, and that's that the level of documentation you provide is going to be different right. you are not likely to need to do that second order documentation except for yourself yeah Right, and so I... You should still do it, though. Mm, because okay, for yeah. yourself. <laughs> but I get your point. <laughs> I have I've taken uh, the habit of, like, creating examples um, for people to be able to see, see how these are, like, implemented. Yeah, well, that's really useful. Yeah. yeah, I think it'll help people, like, see a use case and be able to uh, change it as, as, as yeah. they go on. Um, that's what, I mean, especially if you're if you're teaching people who are going to need to interface with that code but are not developers on the project necessarily yes but need to sort of like play act for a moment yeah uh example that's a great idea it's brilliant yeah thanks <laughs> glad i came up with that too really good at coming <laughs> well, up because with it, the learning by doing is is in right. is coded into that so yes if right. they have an example then they can they can they can figure it out on their own yeah mm-hmm. in a way i mean you are it is documentation of another sort actually yeah. but it's more interact it requires a little bit of from them but they'll get so much more out of it right that's so that's a really good strategy. If you teach a person to fish and all that. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like we touched on the really important things. It's, yeah, yeah uh, you know, break it down. Tell them about the why, what the purpose of this thing is. Um, and it, it goes for all disciplines. It's not just code. Sure. That is what I do on my day job. But, like, you know, we, uh, I've had to have these conversations with people outside of just code. And yeah. um, it's all important stuff. Well, I want to hear a little bit about, Ellen, you interface with a lot of uh, programmers. Yes. Yeah, I'm coming um, at it from the opposite angle. Because you're a designer. Yeah. And so I'm really curious how that conversation happens the other way. Um, yeah, well, actually, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. Okay. It's just the, the the things that are getting put into the examples and 
and everything are, are just different. So um, the the team that I'm working on with now, working with now, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't touch the code. Right. I don't touch the code. It's it's a platform. Like it's predates my time at the company by several years, yeah. and it's a software as a service, and it's got like CMS property that's very complicated, and I don't touch it. There's probably not a lot of per project, a lot of custom code that happens at all per project. Well, I don't want to little. I imagine I don't want to go too. I mean, there's there's some custom code that happens. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, like it's it's, yeah. Um, I, I imagine also there's probably some code a pro- feature development that happens outside the needs of an individual project. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But then some features are developed specifically for, you know, a client or a customer yeah. and then they become integrated. You know, it's it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um the project the project management could be its own like case study in agile and I like talking to Eric about it a lot. <laughs> um, but that's that's not what we're talking about here. Um no, for sure. Like I the first thing I do, I mean, I have a lot of I solve a design problem. Mm-hmm. The client has said we want something more like this. And the first thing I do is I try to understand what, what they mean, right. <laughs> right? Okay, so what problem are you trying to solve is a good question to use there. If that sounds like it's going to be too like, it's just like, okay, so help me understand what being able to see this player data will enable you to do from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, great. So you want to redo this thing. Sometimes it's obvious why they're asking for something. Sometimes it's not obvious. Um, but I try to understand where they're coming from if it's not obvious. And even if it is obvious, I usually try to confirm. Yeah, right. Because, you know, they're coming at it from a completely different perspective. Um, so then if, if I need to do a little bit of prototyping or diagramming or wireframing, then I do that. If I need to work through some examples of how we might be changing or like altering a scoring system, then I'll do that and I'll put it in the score documentation. Mm-hmm. In the game design document, I'll update it and be like, this one, we added this update or we changed these things at this time. I'll create a new version of the document. And um, when I change the rules, I almost always do a worked example mm-hmm. in the document yeah. so that I can come back to it by myself later and remember how it worked, <laughs> um, but also so that I can pull from that example if I'm trying to help developers understand. Mm. So um, to give you, yeah, so, so I, that's what I do, taking the information from you know, the stakeholders and turning it into a design. And then when I'm helping other members of the team work from that, that change, then I really make sure that I write very clear backlog items, exactly what needs, like what the, what the current state is, what the future state is, and like how you can tell that it worked. Yeah. Um. And sometimes that'll be again just like really clear writing. Um. Or it'll be I often do like really ugly wireframes, mm-hmm. like just like showing what the functionality is. And sometimes, I mean, I sometimes I want to make it interactive, more, but usually unless I'm Unless I'm unless we're designing something and we're at the early stages where we're really trying to work on like the feel of a thing, mm-hmm. I actually feel I feel like it's really helpful if I just break it down like click by click or action by action yeah. into this like small wireframe that just like there's this really detailed like beat by beat step by step of what the player would be doing and what the, how this how the game reacts to the player. Yeah, that's cool. yeah, and a developer can take that and they can follow it like an instruction set exactly and then then it can be refined back and forth later yeah yeah well it's you know basically like here here's the logic that i'm describing and this is what will happen like you can see what it would look like and that takes a little bit more time but it's really the feedback i've received is that at least from developers it's very clear Mm -hmm. um and then you know you have these ugly wireframes you can easily go like qa can look at those and they can check to see if it's working properly and the client has access to the backlogs, so like they can look at the sprint backlog and see 
if the, you know, if they have any questions before, you know, things get shipped or whatever. So yeah, it helps to have something that you could then, yeah, a validator after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Did it meet, did it meet this that it made sense? It's interesting. Yeah. But actually what interests me most about you talking about that, because you're sort of coming at from two angles. You have, you have client relation, mm -hmm. and whereas they're doing the communication to you and mm -hmm. you need to get, figure out what they're talking about mm -hmm. and they're experts in literally nothing. And so <laughs> I can say that because I've had a lot of clients <laughs> <laughs> over the years and okay. it's true. <laughs> and yeah, you, you said it, you need to know what problem they're trying to solve, right? But Always. then you need to turn that into designer speak and then you you get to give that in a way that a programmer can turn into programmer speak. Yeah, yeah. And so what's, what is interesting about that is it made me think about that client relationship. It's a lot of the same skills. Oh, for sure. But you and the programmer, or Steve, in your case, you and the designer, yeah. you and the artist, yeah. you're sort of uh, mutual clients of each other. Right? Yeah, well, team members, and so, and so it, yeah. it's it's more complicated, and the the it's less of like a give me a problem and I'll solve it. It's let's what, let's solve a problem together and how yeah. to do it. But a lot of the same things are required. Yeah, um, it's like I need to explain to you a little bit on what, how I work so that you can communicate better to me what you need. Yep, yep, and that happens on the other side as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, like you. Hopefully, you have good client relationships, and you want to help them solve the problems that they're trying to solve. Yeah. Um. Maybe if they're trying to solve a problem that you don't think is a problem, you can have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I have. We're pretty open about it. It's a really good relationship. Um. But yeah, you don't want to just like you don't want to mouth off to your clients. You don't want to mouth off to your teammates. Like yeah. you have to trust your teammates. Otherwise, you can't do creative work together. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Like you just it just it'll break down eventually, and it's not fun, and it's not good, and it's making games that should be fun and good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I guess one of the things that I do is I often just try to start any like presentation that I'm doing to like a visual designer or to someone who's touching the code, like a programmer, is I'll say like, okay, the this is like the high level summary of what we're changing. Mm -hmm. um, and then here's a one sentence summary of why we're changing it. And this is what I'm thinking about what we should do about it. What feedback do you have for me? You know, so like I am, I'm, I am, don't view my role as a designer as like someone who hands down game design edicts for the rest of the team to implement. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's not the relationship that I want with people I work with and you. Um, but like I, I see my role as the person who is responsible for keeping the systems in my head, but also like being able to speak enough of people's different languages and empathize with these different perspectives including the player's perspective that I can find the right balance point between everything yeah. and then get everyone on board about that. That's the balance point. Yeah. 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 Um, and if it's not the right balance point, like make sure that I'm actually taking some time to validate that. So I always try to ask for, I try to ask for feedback on solutions that I've come up with all the time because I don't have everything in my head and everyone else is bringing different expertise. Yeah. And so, you know, here's, I'll just say like, this is my take on it. Um, here's what's important to me about this, but like the rest of the stuff I have in here, this is just an idea. So if you want to change it, go ahead. Overall, like what, what feedback do you have? Does this make sense? Do you think I should change something? Like, where do we go? Um, and that's, that's always really good. Um, well, I, yeah, I think what I'm hearing in that is a really important thing that when you are an expert in an area and other people aren't and people are depending on you. Yeah. So in your case or in Steven's case, yep. um, you, the last thing you want to do is use that as an opportunity to carve out a fiefdom. Yes. Oh, because yeah. you literally can, right? I'm the only one who can do this, so I get to make some decisions about how it's put together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, as, but what you're describing is you want to make sure that you don't 
compartmentalize all your design decisions away from everybody else's influence just because that's your expertise. Yeah. And that's why you're asking for feedback all the time yeah. so that everyone comes along with you, everyone understands, and, and there's no surprises. Yeah. And I think it can be very tempting to be like, this is my area. Um, it takes so long to explain it to people. I'm just going to take their inputs and take care of it. But yeah. that two-way street is really, you have to remember that still needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and it can be very frustrating when you're dealing with someone else and their expertise is something you don't have. And then they've covered out their, their little fiefdom. Right. And then they give you something that like, you know, you would make a bunch of different choices on if you had been, had a conversations earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm hearing in you just a really a systemic way to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. And I try to, I mean, we have our daily scrums. We do lots of, you know, conversation with devs as a team. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like sometimes if you, if you aren't taking up too much of somebody's time, grab someone, do a huddle on Slack or whatever mm -hmm. platform you're using and say, Hey, I'm thinking about this and I don't know if I need to think about it anymore. Like, can you help me with this? You know, just like do do some thought partnership mm -hmm. um, and be mindful of the time that they have. And like, you don't want to interrupt if they're in the flow state, like you really don't want to interrupt that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I think you both said this a couple of times throughout the conversation is like a little bit of investment in conversation and communication early can help with a lot of bug fixing down the road. Um, I think the only other piece that it's worth saying in terms of how I approach collaboration is um, check for understanding often, right? And that's, that sometimes can go, it, it doesn't have to be as like direct as, do you understand what I'm saying? Or like, does this make sense to you? Or what, you know, what questions do you have? It can be, you know, listening for like vocal feedback, like just, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Oh, I like that. You know, like just listening to some conf confirmation, um, not just like someone has received a task from you, like you handed off a boring box, but like they are invested in the solution that you're describing and the solution that you're trying to work for. Yeah. Um, uh, the thing that I'm getting from this conversation from the two of you who, yeah. who are multidisciplinary in other Absolutely. parts of your lives, yep. but in your current roles at work are focused in one area. Mm -hmm. As as someone who is multidisciplinary in my current position, but also just generally everything I do, mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of the same things. It's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's when you talk to somebody about, not necessarily, not always about an area that they know versus an area you know, mm -hmm. but just what, what they're doing versus what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it is, um, I mean, I, I, it makes sense that there's some connection, but I'm hearing, the, the as you're describing it, is like, I, I do all the same things mm -hmm. when I'm talking to people who have my exact expertise. Yeah. Or or I'm talking to people who are working on something that I'm not, but I have expertise in. Yeah. Um, a lot of the same things apply. Yeah. Even when you do have that shared understanding, you still need to work at the sort of the, the, the moving together in parallel. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the time, this is not just human communication patterns, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like the the time you're, you're early with a team, you haven't spent much time with them, you might pause for confirmation like a little more and you might overshare sometimes the information. Yeah. And then you ask for feedback and they say, you can even ask for direct feedback. They're like, hey, so I'm new to the team. Was some of that repetitive? Like, do I need to cut any of that out or was most of it useful? And they'll say stuff like, Oh, no, that was all great. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, most of the time. But, you know, the fact that you are asking for that level of feedback is also something that helps build trust with your team members right. yeah. because they know that they then know that you're open to it. Yes. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it's 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 good to do that. And um, over time, you'll learn what they need and they'll learn your patterns and you'll naturally adjust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think I'll 
we're, we're Stephen, we're coming with ways to extend this topic because it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'll, a question for both of you because yes. from the work that I do, the thing that and my instinct is when I'm working with someone who who's, who's working on something that I'm not working in, yeah. or in an area of expertise that, that I don't have, yeah. My go-to strategy is to become invested in what they're doing. Okay. And become interested in their area of expertise. Okay. But I feel that might be individualized because that might because my next move is to then learn it myself. Yeah. And so I don't think it, that's certainly maybe not the most efficient way to do things. But do you think I feel that that is useful for me to help help with that communication? Mm-hmm. The more I am interested in learning what they're doing, the better I can the better feedback I think I can provide. Sure. And the more engaged I'll be and more willing I'll be to go along with them into the dark areas I don't know. Okay. Hmm. But I don't know if that's a good strategy for everybody. Uh, it depends on how your mind works. And this is like, I think it's outside of like disciplines at this point. I think yeah. it's just how, how you, you, how you take to information and how you are interested in other people's information. Yeah. The way I like to do it is I'm not interested in that many things. So, uh, <laughs> so if somebody comes to me with something that they're, they're asking for my input and I don't, care uh (laughs) then i turn it into something that i do care about and i guess that's kind of what you were doing but you're you're like you're approaching it in a way that like yeah i guess i like i'm approaching it in a way that like makes it so that like this is more applicable to me so okay so for instance my brother is looking for a house right now cool i think it's fine that i can tell him that this whatever if if my brother has an issue with it he has to listen to the podcast and know about it uh (laughs) and uh i'm i'm not interested in buying a house at the moment so like i like my brother will come to me and be like what do you think of this house i'll be like "Eh, it's got a door yeah it's got doors i guess there's walls um but i've been (laughs) is there a roof Mm-hmm. There is, yeah. Oh, perfect. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so, so what I've been doing is I've been adjusting my mindset and changing it so that like I, I'm looking for specifics of things that I do like about like my living situation and how how I like it. So like for instance, I would appreciate having a gas stove because um, I just like gas stoves over better. Yeah, <laughs> over electric in my opinion. Okay, as an environmentalist, we'll have to have this conversation later. Yeah. But okay. No, I agree. Environmentally, it's bad. But anyway. <laughs> um. So, you know, like, like things like that, I'll, I'll take things about uh, what I'm interested in about houses yeah. um, and about living situations and then bring that back and give my brother that feedback. And then he can use that information, which is different from like my parents uh, information or his own information. Right. He can take all of that knowledge and then decide on, you know, what houses he's interested in as a result of that. Yeah. Um, so that was a long winded way of saying. Yeah. Uh, converting well, things. There's a kind of I mean, because I find myself sort of supernaturally curious. So sure. like. And I just don't know that everybody else is. Yeah, you lean into that. It's also kind of tedious sometimes because, like, I think it's like I don't need to know about what you're doing. But yeah. Like, but I'm gonna. I will put some time into that. Yeah. And like that's not gonna be super effective. But yeah. I. I think what you're describing is like finding a way to like link the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. And so you need to do a little bit of shaping. Yeah. But you don't need to completely reinvent yourself. Yeah. In in that conversation. Yeah. Right. You you recognize that this is a conversation that you want to be engaged with yes even though the content of the conversation is not engaging you so you create like a context or paradigm in your head to help you like be interested in it yeah yeah Yeah, and and, and some of that's empathy but it's not all empathy right Right. Mm -hmm. it's i think it's an it's a empathetic skill it's a skill yeah yeah but like it it, it's a it's an empathy enabling skill Mm. yes um for me i am often curious about lots of things um, but I'm also often very pressed for time. Yeah, you're disciplined in a way I'm not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. That feels so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't know how undisciplined I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So I, uh, I'm just really invested in the outcome. I really just want everyone to be able to make a really good game. Yeah. And I, I think for me, like the thing that I love the most about making games isn't the game that we make. It's the process of making it together with other people. Right. Yeah. Hundred percent. So like, yeah. That helps me. That that really is what it is. Right. Wanting that to be successful is as good as being interested in what someone's talking about. Yeah. I'm interested in what they're talking yeah. about because it's them. Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I well, just, yeah. That's yeah. how I'm approaching it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I guess I'm not getting as specific of like, I, you know, I'm thinking about what I like about my house. It's just like, oh, yeah. You know, where Shad was talking about this thing. And yeah, I want him to be able to solve this problem successfully. So let's figure it out. Yeah. yeah. You know? So I, um, become interested in whatever everyone else is doing because they're doing it and they're talking to me about it, <laughs> uh, which is a little bit, I feel like I have a brain hack, but yeah. you know, that's my superpower and I lean into it. That's a little bit of what I do. So yeah, it's, we're, we're a little closer than I think that Steven is to us then. Yeah. That's I mean, not surprising. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think you might be coming at it from more of like an intellectual curiosity perspective. And whereas like the curiosity that I have is like secondary, maybe driven by like the social part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that is the thing that I do. Well, yeah, like, I mean, really, it, there's multiple tactics. So the, yeah. the yeah. key is to to be invested in the outcome. Yes, yes, yeah. right? yes exactly. Yep, exactly that. Mm -hmm. There was oh, I can't remember. I think I heard a speaker once. I went to like a Scrum Day event a couple of years ago in the before times, mm -hmm. um, and they had a speaker who was an author of a book called Turn This Ship Around. And I have the book. I've never read it. I do want to read it. It sounds interesting. And it was uh, like the story of this sh this submarine that, or he was just a ship ship, not an underwater ship, but like a floating ship. Yeah. I can't remember. And it has the, the picture of the ship on the front of the book, but I haven't read the book, so right. I haven't looked at it. Okay. okay. Anyway, so this ship of whatever sort was like not, not doing, was like very underperforming. Yeah. And, or some, it was, it was really rough. And the, the captain there was like the captain that was brought on board um, was supposed to captain a different vessel. Mm. And so he had prepared all of his knowledge for like a totally different ship. Right. And so he wasn't able to like come on board and like, I'm for like an underwater ship, not a, not a floating ship. <laughs> I don't know if it was that drastic a difference, <laughs> but for sure, like the way that the speaker described it was like this, you know, the captain like had all these, you know, specifications and parameters yeah. in his head that didn't apply to this ship. And so yeah. he had to rely on the crew to execute, you know, to a specific level of degree that he maybe would not have had to rely on if he had been on the ship he was originally supposed to captain. Yeah. And so he started changing his tactics and went, instead of saying, I want you to do this, 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 he would say, okay, my intent is to achieve this outcome. Yeah. And then he would help, like the crew would help bring their expertise, their specific knowledge of yeah. that context on that boat to be able to execute that intention. Right. Yeah. And so that's that's something I try to do um, pretty often is just like keep the intent in mind mm -hmm. and just, you know, if I feel like we're getting off, because you can kind of feel when a conversation gets like weird vibes, yeah. you feel like mm -hmm. you aren't, like you're talking over each other. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. really feel like it's landing or like you're not seeing like the spark of enthusiasm that comes with understanding. Yep. And if you go, if you spend too long in, in within a conversation in that space, like you got to switch it up. And you can even just say, sometimes I just like narrate what I'm trying to do with the conversation. I can be like, hey, I don't feel like we're quite clicking. So I want to try something else. Is that okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, just like, it's okay to narrate what you want to do with the conversation, knowing that the conversation is a means to an end. Yeah, that's. What brings it really around to kind of what you started the topic with. Yeah. That, that idea of just being like trusting other people to do their work. Right. 
Right. And, so, and, so, and you will sometimes be in a position where you have to provide a lot of trust. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and salient code. Hmm, a band name. It's not a band name. I'm assuming it's no, not it's a band. No, it's a worse topic than that. I will say, just to interrupt your outro for a moment, uh, we're on Mastodon now as well. So we'll oh, put yeah. that in the show notes. Yes. And maybe we'll get that up on the website. Things are in flux now, as I think a lot of people know. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll be wherever we all end up, I imagine. Um, we do like hearing from you on any platform. So if you're on Twitter, tweet back. And if you're on Mastodon, what do you do? Toot. Toot. Toot back. Or you can email us, contact at nicegames.club. Email is still a thing that hasn't been ruined. Right, because it's a protocol. Yeah. <laughs> nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we will be interviewing the Bugaboo Pocket Team for our last episode before hiatus. But that is it for this week. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Yeah, that's... What brings it really around to kind of what you started the topic with. Yeah. That that idea of just being, like, trusting other people to do their work. Right, right. And, so, and, so, and you will sometimes be in a position where you have to provide a lot of trust. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're on the wrong boat. <laughs> exactly. That. It was the right boat. It wasn't the original boat. What? He didn't. He didn't like wander up, and he's like, "Oh gosh, I spent two weeks on this ship. I didn't realize it was the wrong one." Okay, we should maybe practice example selling because <laughs> there was this one and the elephant one, and the, the... my examples are fine. Okay.